in. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Nice. I like that. Welcome to the latest installment of our Sunday School series on biblical counseling issues. Today's lesson, is, as I mentioned, is on biblical principles regarding finances. And this is going to be my adaptation of, I guess, is this Ron's adaptation? Okay, my adaptation of Ron's adaptation of some material from Nate. So here we go. We're going we're gonna to look at a general overview of the issue of finances um, for the purpose of us being better stewards over all that God has entrusted to us. And not only that, but, but I also would love to see us grow in being able to counsel others in this because we, we may be farther along than others, and that's great if so. And that means we can we could be a huge blessing to others within the church um, by giving encouragement and counsel in this area. I know that, a quick aside, I feel like my, my parents really instilled a lot of helpful principles in my brother and I um, growing up. And, and so if, if we can replicate that with our kids, we'll do well. So um, yeah, there's, a, there's older, older saints here who, who are great to talk to with regards to those things. Oh, also I wanna m- mention uh, Martha and Dave Wargo and his parents are here. So y'all can uh, meet them afterwards. And, Shake, shake their hands, or not, because of COVID. Um, so typically, we, we come to a discussion on the issue of finances, and people will rightfully point out that that's not the only thing that we need to be good stewards of. We also need to be good stewards of our time, our skills, our gifts, our homes. We need to be good stewards of everything that God has given us. And to that I say, amen. That is 100% true. Um, but unfortunately, due to time, we're going to focus mostly on uh, the financial. But I, I hope that even though we're focusing on that, a lot of these principles will still apply more broadly to other areas that we also want to steward well. As y'all are probably aware, Jesus spoke about money a lot, actually, both directly and indirectly. So this is... A crucial issue. If Jesus talked about it a lot, I think it's fitting that we should think about it and talk about it too. So, uh, looking at the first blank on your notes, being uh, under the introduction, being equipped to live life biblically means, in part, that you know and obey God's principles concerning money. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16 with me. And could I get a volunteer to read verses 10 through 13? Thank you. Thank you. Who wants to take a stab at 
putting Jesus' main point here in their own words. What do you guys think? given to us reveals something about us. It reveals where our hearts are at. That's that's huge. Anyone want to add anything else? That was really good, Diana. God gives us, he entrusts things to us. And usually that, that like a process of growth and sanctification is more principle of um, sort of a scale Eternal implications. We'll, we'll talk about that more soon. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah, like, like Diana said, Jesus shows us that money can so easily be an idol in our lives. We can't serve both God and money. It's one or the other. And so the, the call here is to, to be a steward to the end of God's kingdom, to the end that God would be glorified through how we use our money and that his, his church would be built, that people would be, that, that good would be done to others. So the question we want to be asking is how can we use what we have and possess what we have in such a way that it never becomes our master? Now let me ask this. Is, is money itself evil? How, how would you guys answer that why or why not because it does say unrighteous wealth which could be confusing in verse 11 but the bible says not the love of, the love of money is the root of all evil mm-hmm. so it's not the money itself that, yeah. but the money reveals our hearts like you said it reveals what how our hearts if it's to use it to God or to our own selfish ends yeah yeah that's good I feel like that's one of the most misquoted verses because <laughs> even in my head sometimes I think of it as like oh yeah money is the root of all evil it's like oh no that's that's not what it really says <laughs> that's good yeah any other thoughts yeah Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I think that's helpful because we want to recognize 
the dangers within our own hearts to misuse God's good gifts, but it is it is helpful to realize, okay, money is a good gift. It's not we can we can thank God. We don't have to automatically feel I don't know, like cursed if we have money. Is <laughs> that if we saw it as evil, that that would be a good conclusion. That's good. All right. So looking at the next point on your notes, um, I want to want to point out that consumer debt is one huge indicator of the need for biblical teaching on this topic. And so, of course, we know that spending money is not wrong. Having money is not wrong in and of itself. We have to spend money. We have to provide for our families. The issue is what we are spending it on and what the motives of our heart are that is driving us to spend it. And something that was, that was shocking to hear as I was preparing for this is that the average, um, the average household in America has over $15,000 in consumer debt. Um, I don't know. I forget what year that is. I don't know if that's like right now. It was probably a few years back, meaning right now could very well be worse. But um, I, I don't say this to discourage anyone, but if, if you find yourself in that category, um, you know, that's understandable. And we want to, as the body of Christ, we want to help and encourage, encourage each other, help each other get out of that because it's, it's, a, it's a burden. Um, it's, it's a, yeah, that's, that's rough. Those interest rates are not kind. Um, but it, this, you know, seeing a number like that is a wake, should be a wake-up call to us of like, hey, even if we are doing okay, there are people around us um, in the church and outside of the church who, who really do need help in this area and can be pointed to Christ through this. I mean, what, what a helpful way to even bring a conversation to Christ with someone who doesn't know him is perhaps through talking about finances and maybe maybe sharing a little bit about how you think of things and, and um, how your relationship with God affects how you think about what you have and how you use the money that you have. I also want to say we live in a, an extremely materialistic society. And so it, it's helpful to just realize we are going to be tempted to spin, spin, spin. We're surrounded. We're constantly being formed to desire more and more by commercials, um, billboards, magazines that you see at the grocery store. Uh, ads are sprinkled all throughout any website. And, and I think that they're constantly trying. It's like the, the subliminal message that's given is be discontent, be discontent. You need this. You need this. You need this. You need that. You're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna experience the good life until you have this or that or the other. And so I think we should be aware of that. Like, let's not just see all these things vying for our attention passively, but let's realize, okay, that's, we're, that's trying to shape me. That's trying to shape me to be discontent. Um, and we can, we can remind ourselves, yeah, I don't actually need that stuff. Um, and that doesn't even mean you can't buy anything, but, but realizing, I don't actually need all these things I see in ads. I have everything I need in Christ. And purchasing that won't solve all my problems. And it's not going to lead to lasting contentment. It will probably only exacerbate my discontentment, if anything. Because it's like feeding the beast. Just gets more and more hungry. Um, and wants more. So, so yeah. And, and another way. So that, that's part of why a study like this is helpful. And, 
um, being in church week in and week out is helpful because it's it's we're being malformed by these things, but in these these ways we're being rewired to understand and remember all that we have in Christ. So now looking at looking at the next section, uh, four we're going to look at four key areas dealing with with money and management. Uh, the first one being receiving, receiving. And uh, first, first blank under that, we're going to talk about how to settle the ownership question. Settle the ownership question. What we want to talk about here is that we possess, but God owns. You possess, but God owns. Could everyone please turn to First Chronicles 29, and we're going to read verses 11 through 16. But I have a volunteer to read nice and loudly verses 11 through 16. Josiah, you can't read yet. (laughs) All right, who would like to read verses 11 through 16 of chapter 29? Thank you. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people? are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Mm, thank you. Wow. So what are these what do these verses tell us about God? Yeah. Amen. It's like anything we give to him. We, we can't even take credit for that. We're not, we're not helping him out. Sorry, were you going to say something? He said he owns it all. Yeah, he owns it all. Yeah. And how do we see, how do we see the, the author acknowledge that in these verses? heavens and earth in other words everything yeah yeah I love I love how in in verse 16 he's like oh lord our god all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own and so it's cool that they they of course knew that they were giving to the building of the temple but they also knew that fundamentally this was this was merely just them giving giving back what God had already given. It was, it was all through God and to God and for God. And uh, I, I love, it's just so interesting and 
cool how, how he writes about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's profound. It's profound to think about. Any other thoughts before we go on? Yeah, and then he says in verse 12, in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So even the, the very strength we have to, to uh, work and, and earn wealth is, is a gift from him. So I, I hope this is a freeing concept when we think about this. Um, and I've, man, in parenting, I've, I've seen it is it, right out the womb. We, we just want to say, mine, mine, mine. Like you see our, our, you know, I see kids, they'll see something and it's like, that's mine. And someone comes near, it's like, hey, that's mine. They just lay claim to it right away. And so I think this is just such a powerful concept knowing every single thing that we have comes from the hand of the Lord and it is not ultimately ours. So, so we, we may possess, but it's not actually ours. We try to tell our girls, uh, this, this, you know, they're talking about a toy. It's like, that's not really your toy. Like it's, it's been given to you by God. Um, it's, it's our families. It's God. It's, it's not mine, mine, mine. Is that right, Layla? Does daddy say that? Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on to Deuteronomy 8 verses 11 through 18. Um, could you all turn there and could I get a volunteer to read? Uh, we're going to talk about how, next on your notes, you work, but God enables. You work, but God enables. So who can read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18? Thank you, Matthew. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you, to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth confirm his covenant and he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Mm. Thank you. So what are the Israelites being warned against here? so quickly forgetting that they were helpless in Egypt. They were crying out to him. And they had no way out. It took tw- uh, ten plagues. I, I forget the exact number. Um, it took took all these plagues and they were delivered supernaturally by, by the mighty arm of the Lord. And yet 
they're, they're already tempted to just think, oh, you know, it was because it was of our ingenuity or our brilliance or whatever it may be that got us out of here. And that is, that is a dangerous place to be. And so here again, we see, we saw this in the last passage, but again, we see that God is the one who even gives us the power and ability to earn or to make money or to, to enrich ourselves. So we should work hard and we can even take satisfaction in a hard day's work as we work under the glory of our Lord. This is not a, a let go and let God approach to finances, but we must realize that we can't even ultimately take credit for the work that we do. God's given us life. God's given us breath. He gives us each breath. He even gives us the, the motivation and the ability to do what we do. He works in us both to will and to work. Um, and so it's thinking about that is, is a profound hit to my pride for sure. All right, next, uh, next we're going to look at, um, actually, you don't, need, you don't need to turn there. I'll, I'll read it. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, um, which simply teaches us the profound truth that you are God's, so all that you have is his. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So what is, from these verses, because we are not our own, what should our response be? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He says, for you were you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. And just as, of course, we are to glorify God with our bodies, we are to glorify God with every everything we have, like Pastor Des said. Amen. Um, so, yeah, moving along, we're, we're going to talk about, um, yeah, we're going to look at B on your notes, uh, lowercase b, work. It's God's basic way of providing for your needs. Could y'all turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12? And could I get a volunteer to read? Matthew, you're doing great, but you can share the workload if you want. <laughs> oh, Jonathan, hello. Uh, sorry, or sorry, what'd you say? Uh, nine through twelve. Now, concerning brothers and love, you have no need for anyone to write something. For you yourselves have been taught, sorry, have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands. Thank you. So, Paul's saying, you need to work. We, we all need to work, mind our own affairs, work with our hands, 
so that we may properly walk before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The, the um, in Second Corinthians or Second Thessalonians three, Paul actually says that. Actually, let, let's go ahead and read that too. I think we have time. Um, could someone now turn to Second Thessalonians three, and we're going to read six through fifteen. Would anyone be willing to read it? Uh, through, sorry, through 15, actually. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, you're fine. So this is striking because work to to be to be busy to, to not be busy bodies but to, to be busy at work to, or to at least be pursuing work um, is here according to Paul literally a, a grounds for church discipline um, and he's saying hey like don't don't regard him as an enemy warn him as a brother but yet this is something to be warned about and so I think. Um, it's, it's striking in Paul, even though he could have, Paul could have, um, Paul could have been supported by these churches, but in Thessalonica specifically, he chose to, to work and provide for himself, even though he was worthy of his wages. But he said, I need to set this example. I need it because apparently it was a problem there. There were people who were, who were being busybodies, just gossip sitting on their hands not not doing anything and paul said i and so because of that even though he had the right he saw it fit to to work to to toil and labor night and day to not be a burden to anyone um not because he didn't have the right but to give it an example to be imitated so um yeah it's it, it is um yeah may we may we have may we encourage each other um in in this um i want to all right let's see yeah just have a thought on this yeah thank you guys
Yeah. But here, he seems to be getting that part. The person doesn't <coughs> desire, <coughs> desire to work, which shows their laziness and maybe busy body to spend So it, it's, it's aiming at something deeper than just, you know, mm. a person's physical ability, but their, like their desire. Yeah, thank you so much. That is so much clearer than what I was trying to say. Yeah, that's really good. Absolutely, it's, it's the heart. Is there a willingness there? Because you're so right. Not everyone is, is going to be able to. Not everyone's going to be able to at particular seasons, of course. Um, so yeah, that's really helpful. All right, now moving on. We're going um, to go to Matthew 6, 25 through 33. I have a volunteer read that once you're there. Awesome, thank you. 25 through 33. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither seek, they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into farms. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, of you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Mm. Thank you. What is God promising here? <clears throat> How would y'all put that in your own words or the words of the text? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, seek him first and he's going to, he'll have us covered. He knows what we need. He provides the necessities of life to strengthen us for the work of his kingdom as we seek him first. It's one thing to know that. It's another thing to trust that. But we need to continue to renew our minds with these things. Because in the day-to-day grind, it is easy to, to be concerned about a whole host of things. So, so here we want to trust. So I think this is a next blank. Trust the promise of God to supply all your needs. And now we're, we're running out of time, so I'm going to just, uh, okay, yeah, we're going to move on um, to, to D, beware of the danger of riches. Beware of the danger of riches. And these, these uh, passages were all heavy hitting, so I encourage you to, to check them out later, but we are going to still read Ecclesiastes 5. Um, so could, could you all turn to Ecclesiastes 5? Um, we'll read 10 through 15. You got it? Thank you. 
He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his birth, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Thank you. So according to these verses, what does it mean that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money? It's like the, what Rockefeller used to say, he just needed one more dollar. Nice, I like that. One more. Wasn't Rockefeller super rich too? He was. Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if he said one dollar more or just a little more. Like yeah. always just a little more. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's futile. It's vanity. Yeah, the, the vanity of it is that even if you live 100 years, you still only get it for 100 years. Yeah. You don't get it after that. Yeah. It's the fleeting uh, nature of it. Hmm. Yeah, amen. Any other thoughts? That's really good. We're going to move on to giving, uh, the second, uh, number two on your notes. And, and this is fitting because, as Matthew just said, you live to 100, you amass a huge fortune, you die, you can't, you can't bring any of it with you. Um, you may be able to bless, I guess, your family with that, but, but ultimately we bring nothing with us. And so as we talk about giving, let's, let's think about, in light of the fact that we bring nothing, we will take nothing with us, how can we use our money how can we give in a way that really is going to store up treasure in heaven how can we how can we use our money in a way that is of eternal significance and i don't i can't tell you exactly what that looks like exactly what treasure in heaven means um but nonetheless we know that that is a category so let us let us have delayed gratification let us not have the short-sightedness to to store up treasures here when we could be rich toward God now and store up things that will actually last things that are imperishable things that are of eternal worth that will resound to eternity so looking at A we, we are called by God to give joyfully uh, let's, let's go to 2 Corinthians 9 real quick um I get a volunteer to just read that that verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Thank you, Kim. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. I wish we had time to read more of the context here, um, but 
why would you guys say God is not pleased? Why is God not pleased with a joyless giver? Like, if I give, why do I have to also be joyful? At least I gave. The one is the character of God. We're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. And when God gives to us, he gives liberally and joyfully. He gives what? Joyfully and liberally. Yeah. Yeah. So when he gives us gifts, he's not up there saying, oh, i got to give this to this kid of mine. <laughs> yeah. So he's up there joyfully giving yeah. to us. Yeah, amen. Yeah, it's his delight to, to show the immeasurable riches of his grace to us. That's incredible to think about. Yeah, any other thoughts? Why, why is God not pleased with a joyless giver? Why does God care about our motives? Why does God care about our, our emotions as we give? He gives to us not joyful heart or reluctantly. Then it, almost you're implying with your attitude that uh, it's like a number of different things, but one of them being that maybe you feel like God is not going give to give you more or, mm-hmm. or that it's really yours and not his. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of things that could be going on there, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think it, it goes back to the heart, as so many things in God's Word do, but it, it reveals where our motives are at. It, it reveals perhaps we are idolizing what we have in some way, holding on to it too tightly. And I love in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 9, as, as Paul is talking to the church, uh, encouraging the Corinthians to f- fulfill their commitment to give to the needy church in Jerusalem, he, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, <clears throat> so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so I think here, it, again, we are, we are not merely to, to give, but we are to give joyfully because Christ has given himself, given of himself. He became poor that we might become rich, and we must be driven by this gospel, gospel uh, view, that that must be what drives us. And if that's what's driving us, that will result in joy because we give as those who already have everything. But if you give as someone who's who, who's not realizing that, who's you know, you're forgetting that you have everything in Christ, then yeah, it's it's not joyful. It's like ah, oh, giving, but this kind of sucks because I wanted to. Now I don't feel as secure with my savings or, or whatever it may be so and again not not that saving money is wrong uh either but um it, it comes back to the heart are we are we willing to give um are we willing to give some of what god has has given to us um so let's uh okay so looking at the next one plan for eternity plan for eternity and I want to read real quick uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. I'm just going to read that. Uh, so but you can go ahead and turn there. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. So Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust 
destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what do these verses imply? One thing they imply is that each of us have a choice between activities that lead to either greater earthly reward in the present or that lead to greater future reward in heaven. So there's thankfully examples of this right right before. So looking at verse 2, um, could somebody read verse 2 of chapter 6 real quick? Yeah, yeah. So, what reward do they receive? Yeah, people notice them. People maybe praise them, maybe not, but they're noticed, and that's all they get. But Jesus says, instead, pray in secret, give in secret, fast in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And this is not a. This is any. We're talking about an eternal reward, a true reward, and a reward that is actually meaningful and satisfying. Because I think we all know, uh, I know from experience, when I desire the praise of man, I get a little bit, and I'm like, well, that was nothing. And then I have a choice to either just desire more or just be like, okay, God, you're right. I, it's pointless. It's vanity to live for that. So, yeah, that's, that's really good. I, I, I think it's... Um, um, yeah, Jesus, right there, and he gives three examples of tre- of uh, reward that does not last. And so when he says, when he says, um, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he's he's explaining what that uh, he, he's already explained what that what that looks like practically. I need to fly through this because I. We are almost out of time. Um, I wanted to say, uh, since we're talking about giving, I I have come across just some shocking statistics. Um, and I don't have time to go through them all right now. But um, but I will... I wish I could work through all of them. But, but I, I did see something that's crazy is... Um, obviously, Christians give a lot. Um, a lot of that giving goes to a whole host of things. Um, but something that is almost always marginalized is giving towards the spread of the gospel in places that are unreached, in places where there's no church presence. And so for every 100, in, in the research I did, it, the estimate is that for every $100,000 that, that Christians make, they give only $1 toward getting the gospel to the unreached. And that it's, it's shocking, I think, because there are so many countless millions, even, even billions of people who at this point have next to no chance of hearing the gospel as it stands. Um, but, but I think it's not so much even that Christians aren't generous, but I think uh, sometimes generosity is only half the battle. We also want, need to know how to, where to steward the resources and, and give proportionately to the need. So... Um, yeah, 
I, I would love to share more about that or I can show you where I found those statistics if you're interested. Um, so finally, I'm just gonna give you guys uh, the remaining blanks um, under saving. Or actually, no, the final blank, the final blank under giving is grow in the grace of giving. Grow in the grace of giving. Under saving, anticipate costs. Anticipate costs. Um, I misplaced the blank for B, so go ahead and skip that one. Uh, under spending, plan your expenditures. Not to be confused with expenditures, which is a word Anna made up. But plan your expenditures. Create a budget. Evaluate potential purchases. Evaluate potential purchases with scriptural principles. And finally, uh, we need to learn the secret of contentment. Uh, and I do want to turn to this, this final verse. Go ahead and go to Hebrews 13.5. Um, somebody read Hebrews 13.5 once you're there. Keep your life free from the love of money, but be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. So why, why are we to be content? How can we be content? Exactly. Exactly. He says, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. But he doesn't just say do that without giving us the encouragement, the promise to sustain that. And that's what I love. That happens all the time in God's word. And often as blatantly as in this verse where right after he says that, he says, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we are almost out of time does anybody have any closing questions or thoughts does anybody want to have a, a last word or, or ask a question before i close um i, read, I was talking to Rio was in here because i can't remember the title of the book i think it was when healthy hurts and, oh great book um, yeah i read another one that was similar i can't remember the title but i'm not sure if everyone has read it but yeah you know it talks about the idea of sometimes like as christians we think we're giving and we think it's helping but it's actually harming communities yeah That's that's so helpful. No, that's really good. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Great, great book recommendation. Yeah, throwing money at things often is very counterproductive, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. We just don't think that way because that's mm -hmm. not our culture. Yeah, we're like money. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Good. All right, guys, let's pray. Um, Lord, 
we, we praise you for your grace. We praise you that, that we are yours, that, that Christ would, would come to earth, live, live a perfect life, and that he would die on the cross, that he would, he would leave glory, and that he would suffer um, in our place, God, and rise again. We, we praise you that, that you have given us all things, and, and we have everything we need. We have you. We belong to you, and I pray that from these things that our hearts and our lives would overflow in praise that ends in generosity, generosity with our time, our gifts, and, of course, with our, our money, our treasure. Help us, Lord. Um, we know this is a constant snare. We know our, our, we're prone to wander in this area, um, and, and so we pray for your grace. Help us to live and spend and budget and give in light of eternity and in light of your goodness and your glory in Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Thank you guys.